You are listening to Justice for All, a podcast about law, sports, entertainment, and more. Justice for All is hosted by Philadelphia super lawyers Josh Scarpello and Pierre Latour. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together for Josh Scarpello! All right, welcome back to Justice for All Memorial Day weekend Weekend 2020. This is the official podcast if you're traveling in your car or going down the shore or breaking any kind of uh, social restriction guidelines and you need something to listen to. I'm Josh Scarpello along with my host, Pierre Latour. Say hello, Pierre. Hello, everybody. Happy, Happy Memorial Day. And we are pleased, Pierre and I, to be joined by uh, really uh, a good friend of mine for many years. People say, Josh, you know, you must know more interesting people than just your personal trainer and your wife. I mean, that's really the feedback we've gotten. Don't you say, wouldn't you say, Pierre, in terms of like the guests? Anyway, so I said, sure, I do know a couple other people that are interesting. And one of them is Archbishop Ryan graduate. Um a classmate of mine from 1990, a teammate of mine from 1990, the MVP of the Catholic League North, uh, went on to play at Princeton University where he um, uh, played under Petey Carrill and uh, played multiple times in the NCAA tournament. He is now the coach, the head coach at the University of Richmond where he is served in that position for 15 years and he is Richmond's all-time leading winningest coach he's a good friend of mine we are pleased to welcome to the justice for all podcast ladies and gentlemen live from Richmond Virginia please welcome Chris Mooney (laughs) thank you Scott Uh, really appreciate being on Moondog, you look as good as ever. Um, one of these days, I'm going to figure out how to put these videos that I'm recording on the air. But right now, we just have the, you know, we're just going to have to give the listeners the benefit of your voice. But I can assure you, you look just like you did 30 years ago when we would have been finishing up our senior year in high school. I mean, how do you do it, Moon? That's my first question to you. Well, that's kind of you to say. I can't believe it's 30 years. Um, you know, somebody with that head of hair has, can have the confidence to compliment another man, for sure. It's like Sanson and Delilah. That's what gives me my strength. Though. I believe that. I, believe I do. That. Well, we're pleased to have you here in this quarantine studios, taking some time away from his family. Chris, obviously the uh, coach of the men's basketball team um, at the University of Richmond. Um, he's, you know, he's been... Uh, gracious enough to join us and answer a few questions. Chris, I wanted to start with the cancellation of the season. I hate to go backwards during this thing because I think, you know, to get through it, we're all going to be need to be a little hopeful. But I am curious about your season because you were having a good one. You guys were 24-7. and seven. You were second in the Atlantic 10. And then March, what day comes around in March? What was it, the, the middle of March? The, the Maybe maybe 12th or... I, I, I want to say the 12th or the 13th. The, yeah, the NBA canceled on the 11th, and then everything else followed. And then right. the dominoes started. Right. What are you – I mean, tell me what you were thinking 
when that domino hit, you know, when that shoe fell for you, what, what were you thinking in terms of your season? Yeah. So we were heading up when we were heading up to Brooklyn for the conference tournament, we had gotten word that the Ivy league canceled their tournament. Right. And so, you know, we were just at the time, this seemed absurd. So I remember calling the coach at Princeton and texting with the other coaches from Harvard and, and Penn and Yale that were going to be in there just saying, you know, sorry. Um, and then we went up to Brooklyn and that evening was the Rudy, Rudy Gobert incident mm-hmm. uh, where we reported that he had it. And the next day they started the A-10 tournament. We, we were playing on Friday night, but on, on Thursday at noon, the game started. And about a minute before noon, they, they officially canceled it. Both the teams were there, VCU and UMass were on the court, ready to go. So that was really, wow. a, uh, you know, so we went down and met in, in, uh, in a meeting room at the hotel and told the guys. And that was still kind of, you know, boy, this is really strange and mysterious and, you know, unfortunate. And then when we, about 4.30, we were taking a, a bus back to go fly back to Richmond mm-hmm. and we got word that the NCAA tournament was canceled and that was devastating. Jeez. You Did know? you have, I mean, so much happened so quickly when you left the Barclays center, did they, did you have a thought that your conference tournament would be rescheduled or you just th- thought that was done and onto the NCAAs? Now, you know, the, the news was changing so quickly, you know, like every 10 minutes it would be a new, more emphatic closing it seemed and so yeah at first we thought maybe because what they were uh, what they were planning on was or what they were considering was playing without fans and i think the whole deal was like the crowds and the people could get it it could spread and i think when rudy gobert tested positive mm-hmm. it became more about the players and uh the coaches and officials and things like that so yeah we were we were still hopeful and then when we got the word the ncaa tournament was canceled um you know, because we had thought maybe maybe it'll be postponed, maybe you know, yeah. just some kind of hopefulness. That was really devastating, and we and we took the flight back to Richmond, and there wasn't a word said on the bus Jeez. on the flight. And then we met uh, with the team. You know, we had gotten some pizza and met with the team uh, right then, and that was really, really a low point, really devastating. I mean, I've heard so many stories like that, Moon Dog. I mean, um, I've. Uh nieces and nephews that play collegiately that had seasons, you know, their seasons ended. And, uh, but every time I hear it, I just think about, you know, the the impact on all the individuals out there. Somebody like you, my friend, uh, coaching a big team, having a great season, you know, on track to go to the NCAA tournament, most likely. And, you know, a lot of promise in that team, and the whole of a sudden, because and because it's so hard to get to that point, yeah. right? It's so hard, it's so hard to build a team and get to that point of the NCAA tournament, isn't it? Right, exactly. Especially you know, especially for a non-power five team, you know, you have to. We were we were thirty eight. We were ranked thirty eight in the net, which would feel like you'd be comfortably in a sixty eight team field. Um, and it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult. And that was the one thing I said to the guys. You know, mostly in sports, you're always you're taking a mistake that happened and trying to do better the next practice. You're taking us and trying to make it. There's always this learning point. And I said to the guys, this is not one of those. You know, at, when we come back in 25 years for the reunion, 
will still be upset about missing the NCAA tournament. Oh, there's yeah. no, there's no, you know, learning from it or anything like that. You know, we have we're right there, and then it's taken away. So that really made it, um, really make it made it sting even more. Now I understand, Chris. You don't, not that this helps, but you didn't have any seniors on your team, did you? No, we didn't. We didn't, which is I, no. I feel devastated for the seniors. You know, in our league, Dave Dayton was ranked, I think, third in the country, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a few seniors and a great player who's not going to come back. And that was, that's, you know, that's extremely devastating because you're a legitimate national championship contender uh, from a, from a non-major conference. Yeah. And you don't get that opportunity to play. That's devastating. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't affect you or, or maybe you, I guess they wouldn't have a, requ- a request in, in this scenario, but they're losing some portions of their eligibility but I guess, again, you don't have to worry about that so much since, since at least you had a younger team that you're going to have everybody back next year, you think? Yeah, we'll have everybody back. Uh, we have, we'll have, we've started five juniors this year. Uh, we'll be five seniors. All, all of them, oh, I'm sorry, four of them have a thousand points. One guy's close. So we have a really very good team. That's great. That's great. Yeah. And have you heard anything about the start of next season? Has the NCAA shared anything with you about what's happening? So, you know the the trends right now are are more positive. You know uh, Notre Dame um, is. I watched a little Penn. I was going to call you last night, Josh. Penn State Notre Dame from ninety two was. I saw it, man. I saw it. I was flipping. I saw it. <laughs> and uh, so you know Notre Dame announced they're coming back to school August tenth. North Carolina did the same thing. Uh, the NCAA ruled that. You know, football and basketball players can get back on campus to start right. uh, voluntary work. So the trends are positive, uh, but I don't think there are any decisions made. Um, you know, I think they certainly want to get closer and see how this, how these numbers of of the infections and the spread and all those kinds of things continue to play out. God, I sure hope you guys can play in the in the ladies in some capacity, in either yeah. even in empty stadiums or. Yeah, something you know these kids put and you guys put so much into these seasons. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. well, look, we're you know we're all we're all all very hopeful uh, that the the quarantine restrictions will be lim- will be lifted you know gradually over the summer. Uh, I think it's hopeful that we're here at Memorial Day weekend. There's always a lot of you know it feels like the start of a new season and a good one, one that we always enjoy. Um. I have some questions for you, Moondog, about your playing days, because we've talked about Chris the coach. Pierre, I want to talk a little bit more about Chris the player. I knew I him. Be, I, you know, we can get to Chris the superstar. I, I think the, the audience might be more interested in him telling stories about your illustrious career, Ryan, and all this, all these braggings about. Josh constantly says he averaged a double double. Is that true? Is that true? <laughs> well, that depends what statistics you're looking at. Well, you had to do some com- combination of stats. If you combine turnovers and fouls and points and rebounds, then yes, I did average right. a double double. But Chris was much right. more of a prospect. I remember uh, the first time I thought. Well, I always thought Chris was big time because Chris was a, a you know a gym rat type player. A gangly six five, you know, uh, youngster that just loved to do everything and play ball, and just always had a basketball in his hands. But when I, his senior year, when it started to get serious, when 
Petey Carrill came by practice a couple times and would sit on the front. You know, that was always strange when, like, somebody you knew, like a coach, was sitting there. <laughs> what was the point of that, Chris? Why did he come in? Like, he knew you were a basketball player. He probably already seen you. You remember that, Wait, right? He, he sat in practice. Uh, hey, you said Pete Carrill? Pete Carrill used to come and scout you at at Ryan games. Uh, yeah, he came. He came to a few practices and then came to a yeah came to a couple of games. We're all good. Move. I mean, Pierre, you got to picture wow. this. We're all sitting there, like you know, I'm Joe Blow from nowhere, <laughs> going nowhere, and I'm just happy to be on the team in a lot of ways. Moon Dog's a real prospect, and we always knew that. You know, he's Moon Dog. He's the big dog. All this stuff. <laughs> But when somebody like Petey Carrill, and we're going to talk a little bit more about those great Princeton teams, you know, he was in the NCAA tournament four years in a row, dominated the Ivy Leagues, and was around Philadelphia especially, was a well-known character. When he shows up at your practice on Saturday morning at like 8 a.m., and we're all shooting, you know, we're tying our sneakers, and we look over, it's Petey Carrill and some dude from Princeton. And you know, we're joking, we're like, yo, Scarf, is he here for you? Is he here for you? <laughs> That's what you knew Moon was the big time. Um, but he proved it all the time. I don't know where we got off the track there, but here, here's, let's get into uh, the questions that I had for you about your playing days, Moon. Uh, seriously, better place to play, the Jadwin, where you played, or the Palestra? Let me, let me preface that. Let me preface that with, were you recruited by Penn? Uh, you were, right? Who was the coach there? Was that uh... Fran Dunphy? Fran, wow! You didn't want to play for the stash. So, as a matter of fact, uh, Fran Dunphy is is an honest to god hero of mine. And you know, later uh, we he was coach at Temple, and we, they were in the Atlantic Ten, and we played uh, eight times, maybe or something like that. We played in that when we played in an A ten championship. Yeah, we played yeah. in an A ten semifinal. Yeah, uh, and he's the greatest. The greatest, and no, I really, I really did like Penn. And to answer that question, Scarp, and I, I don't, I don't want to upset any of my uh, Princeton buddies, but the Palestra is, is second to none. Uh, the, right, the Palestra is a incredible place to to play. To play when college, we would go down sometimes and play pickup at the Palestra on Saturday mornings, Sunday mornings. I mean, just an incredible place if nobody's there, let alone let alone when it's packed. Now, any truth to the rumors, you used to uh, kick Kobe Bryant's ass down there on, like, Saturday mornings he'd come in? A young Kobe? There are not, there are not a lot of uh, truth to those rumors. Are you sure? Because he was always looking for games down there. He was. I, I You know what? I, I can remember uh, after college working Villanova camp, and they were recruiting Kobe. Of course, LaSalle was. His father was an assistant there. And, uh, you know, just think. Thinking of my, you know, it was a big buzz. He might play in the counselor game that night and things. And I can remember thinking, like, I mean, how good could the guy be? Seventeen years. <laughs> That's a good lesson. That's a good lesson to learn about talent. You know. You sound. This sounds like the last dance. Like every story from the last dance. <laughs> don't tra- Don't talk trash to Black Jesus ever again. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Now, Doggy, um, what was your favorite in your Princeton year? You played in the tournament how many times? Twice. Twice. Right? Yep. What was your favorite memory about the NCAA tournament as a player? And that experience. 
So I would say uh, my freshman year, we were we were we played in the Carrier Dome at Syracuse, mm-hmm. and um, I've never been there. What is that like? Just a big? Is it like a Carrier Dome? It, it, it really is. It's so gigantic, you know, and the, the court's basically in the one end zone. So uh, I'll tell you what, Scarp, you you'd love this part. They're they're building a new uh, uh, roof for the Carrier Dome, but at the time it was very pressurized. So it was all, you know, like you had to go in one at a time and close the door, and you couldn't have the doors open mm-hmm. where it could deflate. So with that pressurization, as as the other team another team was practicing, I got a Nerf football from one of the security guards <laughs> at the Carrier Dome. You could throw a Nerf football ninety yards. <laughs> it was it was amazing. You, we we were out on the field, so now you know, the, the, say it goes from to like the uh, twenty yard line to mm-hmm. the end zone. You could throw that football from the twenty yard line to the goalpost. It, it was incredible because of the pressure inside the carrier. Because they, yeah, the, yeah. It wasn't uh, because I, that you had yeah. a rocket right arm. <laughs> well, you might not be able to throw it. <laughs> But my favorite memory is we went over, you have a real practice and then you have kind of a shoot around for fans that can be there. And we got into the carrier dome and there must've been 15,000 fans to watch us practice, you know, practice shoot around. And that was really, wow. You wow. know, that was incredible that they'd be watching you, you know, shoot lefty reverse layups or something like that. I mean, that was, <laughs> For most teams, I guess they were watching dunks, but for us, mostly some, some uh, well-placed layups. Is, did you come out and do? Did you have? Uh, did PD have you come out and do some ridiculous warm-up drill where you guys do like figure eights and backdoor like cuts all the time? Yeah, I mean that's all we knew. So that's pretty good. <laughs> we did what we knew. You wouldn't come out and chuck up threes from half court or anything like that. Uh, I mean, you, you, you roll, you're, you're rolling the dice there now, Scarf. You know what I mean? He 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 had a lot of control of. You shot a lot of. I was looking at the stats for uh, Princeton last night. You're not. You're on the stats for points. You're a thousand point scorer. Um, we're, we talk about three point um, shots all the time now. Is like that's the thing. Like shooting from the outside, outside in, and it was very different. Moon, I think you would agree when we played basketball in high school. For sure. Um, did, did Petey Krill have a philosophy or, philosophy where he wanted you to take the three-point shot all the time when you were open? Well, it was really, you know, I mean, Pete Krill was really 50 years ahead of his time, Scarf, in terms of, you know, we played, uh, you know, more cutting and screening, versatile players. Mm-hmm. You know, threes. It was it was a lot. It became threes and layups. I mean, that wasn't anything he ever said. I, I should say post moves, threes and layups. Mm-hmm. That wasn't anything he ever said. But we really did. We were spread out to begin with, so naturally we were behind the line when we shot threes. So we we took a lot of threes. Yeah. Princeton always has been good at shooting threes. So, um, yeah. I mean, but but it wasn't it wasn't said like that. It was more said about shooting the right shot and the open shot and. Those often for us were threes or or, or cuts for layups. I think he really was very much ahead of his time in the sense that his offense started out so high, right? And now everybody runs a high offense, and like everybody's outside the lane, and it's you know it's yeah everybody's got to yeah. be able to shoot the ball now, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm I'm telling you, you know just like cross court passes and cuts and and big guys you can make passes like he was really way way ahead of his time. Yeah. I mean, the Warriors play very similarly, you know, obviously faster and more athletic, but 
very similar. I mean, it's 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 really incredible to watch. Moon, didn't he get a job in the? Am I imagining this? Did he work in the pros? The Kings. The Kings, wasn't he? Did he get a job with the Kings? Correct. So he had a great player actually from Springfield, Delaware County, named Jeff Petrie, who played at Princeton, and then he he was the NBA Rookie of the Year, I think, in '71. Had uh-huh. a great. Uh, rookie, yeah, rookie of the year, and had a great pro career. Became a general manager of the King, the Blazers, and the Kings. And Coach Curl was out there for probably about twelve years. And that Kings team, Lade Divac, Chris Weber, yeah. those guys were really good passers. If you remember, they were they were really good at moving the ball and cutting. Also, he had a, he had a pretty big impact. Incredible, and, and he's you know he obviously shaped your playing career, and undoubtedly, I guess your coaching style too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, you know, you just learn principles that that are very important and you know had he been at a place you know when, when he was earlier in his career Princeton was recruiting guys who were NBA players Petrie mm-hmm. uh, Armand Hill uh, Craig Robinson these guys were drafted and, mm-hmm. and good players and then as as tuition went up and uh, it was harder to get those kind of guys and you had you know regular Joes like me then <laughs> then we were a little bit more deliberate and and had to play a certain style to, to be able to be competitive with with big time teams. Who was Chris? The, could you? Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead I'm Chris. sorry. No, go ahead. I wanted Peter. to ask you real, real. We were as long as you're talking about your career. I wanted to know if you had a uh, two things like a memory of your your best moment or best game playing at Princeton, and and likewise also you maybe your worst moment or worst game. <laughs> I have a lot of those uh, seconds. <laughs> I would say. Uh, you know, best moment, we beat North Carolina State in, in Reynolds Coliseum down in, in North Carolina. Wow. And, uh, Tom Gugliotta. Goose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> gamers on ESPN. And uh, Bill Raftery came to dinner with us the night before, Scarf. and Bill Raftery, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we had, uh, we played well. And at Princeton, you know, Coach was there so long. And it was, he was very tough, very, very, very tough, demanding. And, uh, and so we, we were kind of, we were allowed to really celebrate if we beat, if we won the Ivy League title, uh, or if we beat a, a, you know, a big time team. And so that was, that was just a great night. You know, we, we, we won the game. I, I played well and had a, had a very good game. Um, and we were just so excited and elated to beat North Carolina State. I believe, I'm sure my memory's fading a little bit on this, but I think they beat Carolina the next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gugliotta had always played well against Carolina. They beat Carolina the next week, I think, because we played them in in, uh, in December. Googs was a big-time player. I mean, what oh, was the like playing against him? Yeah. yeah. He was a great player. He was a great player. You know, he's just like 6'8", really long, like, you know, freakishly strong. Right. Um, could shoot, could could do a lot of everything. Um, and I would say my worst moment, boy, to pick from those. <laughs> Give us more than one if it's easier. Yeah, no. Uh, well, I can remember my, my, you know, Coach Curl, like I said, he was tough and demanding, a lot of colorful language. And uh, when, he, when he was recruiting you, of course, you know, you saw his better side and he was almost like a grandfather. He was very, you know, he's brilliant and caring and a, and a really, really good guy. And that first practice I remember was tough. I mean, the, 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 
there was a guy in front of me. I think he was a Rhodes Scholar, and he, he just he, he did something wrong in, in dummy offense. And coach just blistered him about being the dumbest guy that he'd ever met. You know, this guy's a Rhodes, a legitimate Rhodes Scholar. How do you get over that? <laughs> and I can barely, I'm, I'm dying from the first half hour of practice. Anyway, I can't even pay attention. Uh, but we, you know, one that comes to mind is we had yeah. played LaSalle three times and beat them twice. And I had two good games. And then we played them down at the Civic Center. The Civic and Center, I wow. Game. I think I was like two for 11. Coach Carroll was ejected from the game. Um, and and we lost a fairly close game. So my, my terrible performance really hurt us. That was tough. And I, I had played well against Speedy and the guys the two mm-hmm. previous years. That was really, really tough. Uh, oh, you had a demand. I had a lot of moments like that. You know, that that's what sports is. I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of failure before. Sure. You know, to 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 bring down those those high times. <laughs> you know what? What did Paterno say, Chris? Never get too high with the highs. Never get too low with the lows. No doubt. No um, doubt. Who was coaching wise? Anybody who you know who jumps out at you that you've coached against that uh, or a co- or a game you know with somebody that you coached against? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, early on here, uh, Rick Patino, we played down at Louisville. Um, What's and, he like? Have you, have you chat with Patino? Uh, incredibly, you know, it's like uh, no matter what you think beforehand or you know have read or where you fall in terms of, he's just incredibly charismatic. Mm. You know, I remember going down to shake his hand. He knew everything about my career as a player. Yeah. And, uh, just really. Still just got that not, accent, that New York accent. Yeah, exactly. What's he go, like 5'9"? How big is he? A little taller than that, Scarp. He's probably about six feet, six one. He was a good player. And he's a uh, he, he is uh, a real aficionado for staying in shape. In fact, he, he demands that of his coaches, I've heard. He does. He does. You know, he might be good for you to join that staff at Iona. That would get you into shape quick, I think. It takes your body fat and stuff every week. What? Wait, what? He he has the uh, staffs. You know, they, they have to weigh in, have to get a body fat percentage every week. The staff has to weigh in? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's, what's the logic behind that? I, you know, I don't know exactly, except that I I just think he's he demands uh, physical fitness from <laughs> from everybody, you know. And Josh, guess, we should start doing that at the law firm, maybe. Maybe we should start doing waivers good, every week. That might be a good, good place to start for you guys. Could be, could be. We have a way in. I'd be I'd be way ahead. We could have a penalty. Yeah, system. I'd be in. I'd be in trouble. That, that wouldn't be good for. Me. Uh, what about any other famous coaches, Moon? You ever met uh, somebody? Uh, how about the late Rick Majerus? You ever met Big Rick? Big Rick? <laughs> sure, I coached against him a lot because he was at Utah when I was at Air Force. Yeah, and then he was at he was at St. Louis when we were at uh, when we were at Richmond. Just so, so if yeah. people don't recall, Chris has started his career. Um, his first big collegiate job was Air Force, right? Your first collegiate yep. job, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, yeah. and the coach there for a year before he came over and took over at uh, Richmond. And at that time, so Majerus was out in what was the conference you guys were in? The Mountain West, or? Mountain West. Yep. Mm-hmm. He and, must have yeah, been pretty Majerus, good. What's that? Yeah, incredible, incredible coach. Uh, really demanding, tough guy. Uh, you know, and over the years, Scarf, I've, I've met all these guys. We were in Nike school, so I, you know, been been able to meet tons and tons of these guys and 
That's like what? The, that's the exclusive like VIP coaches club that like only coaches can get in. <laughs> that's what that is. Exactly. <laughs> well, membership has its privileges. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I mean, if those walls could talk. I won't have you reveal any confidences that, that happened inside the Nike club. But needless to say, Majerus was obviously an interesting and colorful, colorful guy. Um, what about a player, any individual player that you thought, man, this is the best player I've ever played against? I mean, outside of me and guys on the high school. Right, right. Yeah, well, appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know, uh, just a quick side note here. When we would play, we played pickup at Ryan every day. So we had a class of seven seniors. And had come up together, always played on the freshman team. And we would, you know, it got to the point where we played pickup every day. And, and that wasn't like that before we had gotten there. And, in fact, they would play zone defense in the pickup games. And we eliminated that. And we would always have really good games. So we'd shoot around a little bit. Um, Billy Feeds might do a shooting drill. Mm-hmm. Then we'd play, we'd play pickup for, for, you know, an hour and a half or so. And mm-hmm. the, games were, the games were called. Mm-hmm. When Josh shot a three. Right. So it, it was starting to get a little loose, a little loose, a little loose. So mm-hmm. Scarp shot a three. Literally, as the ball was in the air, everybody was just walking yeah, off yeah. the side. Nobody's taking it seriously anymore. That was the sign. Nobody nobody cared anymore. Oh, all right, Scarp doesn't care. The game's over. I, I can't believe there I can't believe there isn't any footage of that. Like we saw at the last dance. Remember when uh, when Jordan had the um what was it they well, they were doing the movie and they had the the pickup yes. games going on right there. you know i'm i'm searching for it there's an incredible i've shown scarf this yeah uh, i know what you're going to say we played in, in something called the brotherly love classic and we played a team from maryland called saint francis mm-hmm. actually scarf that school now is has the best football program in america oh i did not and know one that. of the best basketball mm-hmm. yeah we played them. They had a kid going to Clemson and another kid going somewhere else. We played them at Holy Family College. Yeah, I remember that. That's what it's still called. And um, <laughs> at the end of the game, we were down three. Scarf got fouled. <laughs> shooting a three? Not. not I'll never forget it. Somebody <laughs> threw up a shot. Maybe you or Seeds. I got an offensive rebound, which is yeah. what I did. I got That's offensive rebounds. And I... Went up. And I did not make the shot, which is also what I did. <laughs> and then I, had, I luckily got fouled. So then so, continue. So the video would this the story doesn't do the video justice. But Scarp was probably a probably in the mid fifties free throw shooter. Coach. Would that is that fair or higher? Really? I think I was about. I think about this a lot. I think I was in the 60s. I think it was the 60s. Because okay. I think I most I would very rarely go 0 for 2. I was the one. True. You know, we had guys on our team that would, with regularity, would just airball free throws. <laughs> Dave Sheverdome would, like, in the middle of a varsity. This is a varsity basketball game. He'd get fouled. He'd go up. He'd take a couple, you know, bend his knees. And he'd come up, uh, like, a foot short from the rim. Yeah. So, compared so, to him, I was like Steph Curry. <laughs> But so okay, Josh maybe, maybe, line. yeah, you're right. Low 60s, low yeah. 60s. So oh, okay. I believe there's a timeout. The strategy is Josh is going to make the first, miss the second. Miss the second, so, right. Now, like I'm sure all of your clients know, Scarp has a certain style <laughs> and a certain je ne sais quoi about, about how he goes about his business, the way he walks, the way he talks. Hmm. 
So he had a great free throw routine. <laughs> great. You know, it was it was six dribbles. It wasn't just two dribbles and shoot. It was dribble, dribble, bounce, spin, bounce, bounce, spin, bounce, bounce, spin bounce. bounce yeah. And so now this is a guy who's not the best free throw shooter in the world, and we're just saying, hey, make the first, as if that's <laughs> as if that's a given. He does makes the first. He goes for a second. Same. Very cool routine. <laughs> dribble, dribble, spin, dribble, bend the knees. Mm. So, for the for the listeners of uh, of the podcast who don't know, you have to hit the rim on a foul shot. <laughs> this is giving away the story a little bit, but you have to hit the rim or the ball is dead. Mm-hmm. So, Scarp in this beautiful routine. Then he comes back. He fires the ball off the backboard. <laughs> Way above the square. Way above the square. It was a it strike. Comes, it was a bullet. Right. It comes back toward him. He goes in and knocks over both guys' position <laughs> on the other team to not to box him out. Knocks him to the floor. Over the line early. There are at least three violations of committed on one play. It was it was the most beautiful. It's a miracle and, they didn't call a foul on me. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> but I had already. But before the foul occurred, I had violated it by crossing the foul line too. Correct. You hadn't hit the rim. You hadn't. You've crossed the foul line early. It was. It was. It was beautiful. Right. So they consulted. They gave that team the ball under the basket, and then what happened next? So I stole the I, ball and dunked, and we won. <laughs> So the, they inbound, or they go to inbound the ball. We're in our 55 pressure. I'm sure Dave Shepard on the ball. The guy travels inbounding the ball. You can't run the baseline on a miss. Right. He travels Ryan ball. Mm-hmm. Ball is inbounded to Bernie Rogers. Yeah. Makes a three for the game winner. Yeah. Bingo, bango. Just like we drew it up. So, <laughs> brotherly love classic champ. Brotherly love classic. The guy walked on the inbounds. There was a lot of weird plays in those last few seconds. That's what you love about basketball. That's what you love about sports. You know, you're always learning new rules. Yeah. I love that. All right, Chris, final question, and then I want to, if you have time, we're going to do a quick quiz, if that's okay. You you all on board for that? That'd be great. Thanks. And no, thank forward. you. Chris Mooney, uh, Richmond University men's basketball coach, eight, the Atlantic 10 which has reformed so many times, but Richmond's always been there, and they're a proud member. And uh, they had a great season last year that was cut off. We're happy that he's here with us on Memorial Day. Chris, you played and and coached in the NCAA tournament. What do you think was harder, playing for or coaching a team in the NCAA tournament? Well, that's a great question. Um, Well, the way I look at it, Josh, is coaching is much harder – in every single way except for the games. Mm. So, you know, coaching, you're you're dealing with all of your players, you're dealing with your administration, you're you're fighting, you're 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 getting as much scouting you can done and making all these tons of decisions. Once the ball is tipped, now that's the hardest part is playing. Uh you know, basketball at this level is is so challenging because how good everybody is therefore how competitive it is and you know you may you may have practiced 
something about a drive or a way you're going to shoot and the other team doesn't let you do it. That, that, that's pretty common. And so you have to immediately instantaneously make a different decision and be, and be skilled enough to do the, the counter move. So I would say play, when the game starts, playing is much harder. Yeah. Everything else, coaching is much harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you, I think you've excelled in both areas there, Moondog. Uh, and uh, you know we're looking forward to the, to all NCAA sports resuming, so that guys and gals can resume their careers and and keep making us proud and keep producing fine young people, and that's what Chris does. So uh, so now, Chris, you're obviously our most high profile guest, the first one to participate in the um, Justice for All Quizzo. Let me tell you some of the rules real quick. It's very simple. There's only five questions. Pierre has a really good winning percentage. We've argued over what it is, but he's streaking. Maybe three in a row, four in a row. Uh, these uh, yep. You'll need a pen and pad just so you keep score for yourself or to write down your answers. Okay. Like I, Chris, Chris is, is furiously looking for something. Take your time. Or just keep the answers in your head, Moondog. You don't have to really write anything. Down. I can write them. I can get something. Yeah, you, don't, you don't really need anything. To... Anyway. As Chris looks for a pen and pad, I'll remind everybody there's five questions. The uh, There's a theme every time. And the theme of today's Memorial Day 2020 quiz is 1990s NCAA men's basketball champions. So the 1990s, the entire decade, NCAA men's basketball champions. Chris versus Pierre. What we'll do, Chris, is we'll ask each question. You just write the you don't just write the answer down silently. When we've asked four, then we'll reveal, and then we'll have our final quizzo. It's very exciting right at the end. Every question and bonus question, unless I say otherwise, is worth ten points. So keep give yourself ten points for every correct question. Are you ready, Coach Mooney? I'm ready. Are you ready, French guy? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll once again point out that you keep on skewing this in favor of the guests. You know, I mean, well, we, well we're not going to. Uh, your objection is noted and it's overruled. Okay, so let's all just proceed. Question number one. In 1990s, NCAA men's basketball champions, on April 2nd, 1990, this team won the NCAA Men's National Championship with a record 30-point win over this ACC team. Who beat 1990, Moon? This would have been when we graduated high school. Who were the oh, national- but I'm, I'm just writing this down. I'm not, I'm not speaking up, right? Yeah, yeah. No, this is, I, well, right, I, oftentimes right. I will have witty banner in between questions. Don't respond unless I ask you specifically for a response. Okay. Thank you. Number two. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Bonus. All right. So the team that won the 1990 Men's National Championship in basketball, NCAA. And as a bonus, who was the most valuable player of the tournament for that? He came from that team. I'll give that to you. All right. Questions number two. 1994, 
This team won the 1994 title using an aggressive full-court style dubbed 40 Minutes of Hell. Pierre's heard me say that in the office. He's probably <laughs> wondered what it meant. Uh, 40 Minutes of Hell, who was the team that won the 1994 title and who was the most outstanding player of the tournament who came from that team? All right. Moving on to question number three. This is a this is a good one. Which college team won two men's basketball titles in the nineties with two different coaches? As a bonus, name the coaches. And of course, we you know we can't cheat. So I hope I'm looking at both of you, Pierre. I hope you're not you know. I'll remind everybody that cheating is discouraged. Honor code. Unlike Scarpello family board games growing up, cheating is is discouraged. All right, number four. This team in 1995 1995 won its school its eleventh national championship the 1995 winners it would have been the 11th in the history of the school as a bonus who was that tournament mvp <clears throat> came from that school all right the questions are in that's only four yeah, well, time for the reveal, and then we'll go back yeah. to the list. Okay, it's it built, it built suspense, fine. Moon. Let, let me, let me. Okay, it's not my. Let me, let me run my ship here, please. Okay. Anyway, he's a perfectionist, ladies and gentlemen. Question number one: April second, nineteen ninety. This team won its the national uh, men's national championship with a record thirty point win over this ACC team, which was I didn't want to give it away, but. Moondog, do you know who that was? If I gave you the ACC team, I thought it might be easy if you got it. Uh, do you want the answer or just who they beat? The answer. Who won the, t the title in 1990? UNLV 103, Duke 73. Wow. It sounds like he, like he cheated a little bit there, Moon. But oh, that is correct. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> that is the correct. That's the scores. UNLV. Bonus. So give yourself 10 points for that. Write yourself 10 points next to your score. Who was the most valuable player from that tournament, Pierre? Do you know? First of all, did you get UNLV? I, I got UNLV, but I guessed that Stacy Ogman. Stacy Ogman would be the obvious choice, but that's incorrect. P Mooney, Chris Mooney for the steal. Anderson Hunt. Anderson Hunt is correct. <laughs> most valuable player of the tournament. He was pretty good. You know that team had Ogman. Grandmama, him, my favorite right, player, Moses Scurry. <laughs> Greg Anthony. Greg Anthony. I mean, that was a pretty good team. The Tark. We played them my freshman year at Princeton. I know. I was going to bring that up a couple times. So you played against that, that whole squad, right? <laughs> yeah, they all came back, and uh, we played against them. It was quick. It was 
it was quickly uh, it was it was tough to score. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, they were just a great defensive team, weren't they? They just were uh, long and all over the place. Yeah. Incredible. And Larry Johnson was Larry Johnson. He must have been yeah. insane to get play against. Amazing, amazing. Um, what did they call their famous defense? The zone defense the am- they played. Amoeba. That's correct. That's not a bonus. That's just for my edification <laughs> and enjoyment. All right. Question number two. So it looks like it looks like uh, uh, Coach Mooney jumps out to an early lead. Question number two: the 1994 winner won using an aggressive full court style, dubbed 40 Minutes of Hell" by its coach Pierre Latour. 1994 winner, 40 Minutes of Hell. Who? What team was that? That was Arkansas. That is correct. Right. The Razorbacks. Who was that coach there, Chris Mooney? No one. I can picture the guy that were. I can't. I can't. I can't remember the guy's name though. That he, he went he went to the NBA. Fat dude, good career. passer, kind of like you know yeah. you know big dude you know big yeah, lanky dude but like heavy. Like lesser Barkley, right? Can't remember his name. I don't know. Moon, you know you know who the MVP of the tournament was? Uh, well, I and to be honest, Scar, my guess that I wrote down was Scotty Thurman. Oh yeah, he was on that team. Yeah, I know, but it, it must yeah. have been. Uh, <laughs> Corliss. Corliss Williamson. Corliss Williamson. Yeah. Corliss Williamson. Ah. Yeah. He had a weird name. Yeah. I forget what his name, what his, he had some nickname, but he was a great, just great college big man, great college big great. man. Yeah. And they just had a great defensive team. I remember that team really well. Um, interesting. So an interesting, uh, researching that UNLV, you know, is the last non-power conference team to win the NCAA championship. Yeah. I mean, with all the talk of mid majors and stuff, and and mid majors have done well, and they've, but in terms of titles, and that, what that means is like you know, ACC, Big Ten, all the big conference schools. That was the last one, and what a great team that was. I mean, too. But all right, anyway. So now number three, college team that won two men's basketball titles in the '90s with two different coaches. Chris, I think you know this. You talked about one of them. So, yeah, that would be Kentucky with Rick Pitino in 96 in New York, Scarp. That is and, correct. Uh, Tubby Smith in 98. That is correct. Chris Moody with the with the grand slam. Pierre Latour, did you have Kentucky? I did have only because I had no idea. I wrote UCLA down because I guessed, and then you gave it away with question number four, I thought. So I went back and put Kentucky in. Did you get both coaches? Oh, yeah. Well, once I knew it was Kentucky, I knew it was Patino and Tubby. I mean, I'm a Celtics fan, so I have a great... All right. Well, you just guys continue. That that was a. Uh, I, I thought that was a good question. I don't know whether I would have gotten that, but uh, I knew Coach Mooney would probably be in his wheelhouse. So give yourself ten points for every correct, correct question, and we'll. I'll ask you for your total right at the end here. After the answer to this question number four, the 1995 title winner, uh, winning the school's 11th national championship, Pierre Latour. Pierre, are you there? UCLA. That's correct. UCLA. Who was the most valuable player from that team, Chris? Ed O'Bannon. That is correct. Did you have Ed O'Bannon, Pierre? Yep. And yeah, I remember 
Oh, did we lose them? No, we still got you here. I have to really okay. start trying to verify these things a little bit more accurately. But I'm 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 working on the honor system here. So again, keep this. Well, and also I re I remember that too, because guess who UCLA, the defending national champions, lost to the following year. There you go, Pierre. I like how you're thinking there. Yeah, your Princeton Tigers. Tigers. That's right. Well, this is something That's really unique. Been... I'm going to tell you guys something pretty funny. That Pierre had ju has just, because he's uh, uh, he talks too much, he's just revealed the question and the answer to what was going to be final quizzo. Um, I ask you, but don't worry, because I'm always prepared. I have a backup question. But in, in an attempt to, to at least tip the, the scales a little bit in a Princeton grad's favor. I, that was going to be the final Quizzo question, which is kind of insane. I think Pierre and I have been working together a little bit too long. But that is true. The following year, Moon, do you remember that team or your boys, Gabe Luellis, and who was on that team? Sidney Johnson, Mitch Henderson, Brian Earl, Gabe Luellis, Steve Goodrich from Philadelphia Penn Charter. Wow. 43-41 in Indianapolis. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, everybody, tell me, uh, tabulate your scores. Coach Mooney, how many, how many total points do you have? What are the bonus? Uh, Everything's worth 10 points for every bonus you get. Uh, I guess 70, then. 70. <laughs> Pierre? Two, three, four. I, well, I think I have 60. Good, I like that. So Coach Mooney's in the lead for this point. final like, quiz yeah, question. Scores, Mooney's score should be like 140. Okay. Our final quiz question, because again, my partner has ruined the question that I had planned. In February of 1990, this was the year that Coach Mooney and I Graduated high school, starting to end, end that senior slide. Out in Tokyo, the heavyweight championship of the world was being, was being uh, waged. And in one of the most colossal upsets of all time, this man defeated Mike Tyson for the heavyweight championship of the world. Who was that man? And as a bonus, who did he lose the title to eight months later? Who won the title versus Mike Tyson? And then who defeated that guy eight months later? Let's wait for the music for that final Quizzo question. Hold on. I have to wait for the commercial because I, I, I boot this from YouTube. It's too cheap to buy it. Here it is. <laughs> hey, we have no budget for this show. Let's be honest. We need to talk to our sponsors. I just realized this hasn't been recording. We're going to have to do this all again. <laughs> I just get Okay. So anyway. All right. 
Once again, thanks, Coach Moody, for joining us on this um, Friday Friday morning, May 22nd, right the, the official start of summer. Uh, we really appreciate it. It's been great conversation. It's so much fun catching up, catching up with you and hearing some of those stories. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, now, to the business at hand. February 1990, the heavyweight championship of the world in boxing. All three belts had been unified by then champ Mike Tyson. Chris Mooney for the win. Who defeated Mike Tyson in Tokyo, in the Tokyo? In an 11th round TKO, James Foster Douglas. I love how he throws in these extraneous extra, you know, details for points. Just, just showing me up. I was at a keg party at some guy's house, and they had to get, they had to fight on. And Chris might have really? came in later. I remember exactly where I was. James Buster Douglas is 100% correct. He dropped the soup bone on Mike Tyson. And it was in the 10th round I read this morning, not the 11th. Boom, boom, boom. First time. Uh, is that true? First time Tyson was ever knocked down and he was knocked out. He did not. Yeah. He did not. He did not. He could not. Uh, you know, he cannot make it back from 10 from the 10 count. Yeah. Uh, but he did win. Now you were in the lead. Did you bet wager all your seventy points? I did. Okay. I did. Now this may be superfluous, but let's see what Pierre Latour had. Did he have James Buster Douglas? I, I did have. I did have Buster Douglas. I wagered all sixty of my points. But so it comes to the bonus, right? It comes to the bonus question. That is correct. Bonus question. Now you can double up all your points again. So now Coach Mooney has one forty. And and uh, Pierre has 120. The gap has widened. Who did James Buster Douglas lose his title to a mere eight months later? Let's go to Pierre Latour. I, I have no idea. I, the only name that came to my head, I don't even think it's a boxer. I think it might have been a major league umpire. No, he did not lose umpire, it to an umpire, but an umpire was very was was involved in one of his title defenses against Mike Tyson. Chris Mooney for the steal. I believe I have two names in my head, Scarf, and I can't. They're similar names. So Trevor Riddick. No, it's not Trevor Rick. Come on, this is a this is a real boxer that people would know. Holyfield? Holyfield? <laughs> it's Evander really? Holyfield. Oh. As it is goes. It that quickly? I thought he fought somebody else. No, as the story goes, uh, the, the fight with Buster Douglas was, was like a tune up. Um, right. Evander was the number one contender. Or, no, he wasn't the number one contender. He was recently moved weight classes from right, like cruiserweight right. to heavyweight. Buster Douglas might have been the number one contender at the time, but they were setting up a fight down the road for Evander and Buster Douglas. He got in the way of all that, and he changed all that. And then later, um, who was the referee during the, the, the Tyson bite fight? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mills, what was his name? Mills Lane? Yeah. Yeah. So there was a referee involved in there somewhere. Yeah. Well, good. At least we mentioned a little bit about rule breaking and rules and stuff, since this is We Are Two Lawyers, right. and this is it's supposed to be a legal podcast. podcast. Well, Chris Mooney. I can't tell you how pleased I've been. I really appreciate it. Um, we spent more time than I thought we would, but we had so much fun. 
Um, I hope uh, you and your family are doing well. Your team and your state and your community gets back on its feet as quickly as possible. And we look forward to seeing you, your teams play in the near future. But thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Best yeah, you bet, guys. Thank you. It was a blast. Appreciate it. Chris, any any uh, message for the Philadelphia area? You're old. You know, anybody that owes you money out there, anything at all, as before we sign off. <laughs> Uh, no, just that I, I miss everybody up there. Can't wait to get back. All right, Chris Mooney, justice for all. It's been fun. Thanks so much. Justice for All has been brought to you by the law offices of Scarpello and Latour. Our attorneys are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Call us today at 215-732-0460 or visit us on the web at www.phillybestdefense.com. During the quarantine, Jose Pistolas is offering a simple menu for a simple time. Go to josepistolas.com and check out the simple menu. Whether you are craving burritos, tacos, nachos, or beer, yes, beer, curbside pickup, and delivery are available. Call Jose's today at 215-545-4101. Jose Pistolas, serving the community and satisfying cravings. That's 215-545-4101.